Today on the show, singer-songwriter Gabe Dixon talks sharing the stage with Paul McCartney, his beginnings in a country boy band, and so much more on a great episode 48 of Who Writes This Stuff? Hey everyone, welcome to Who Writes This Stuff. My name is Nick Flora, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, thanks for listening. This is a really fun episode. I'm excited uh, for you guys to hear it. Uh, I talked to Gabe Dixon, uh, who, if you're not familiar with, is great singer-songwriter uh, who grew up here in Nashville. Super great guy. Really fun talk. So, But before that, I wanted to let you guys know I am going on the road for this fall. I've, I've been home for a little bit now, but I'm heading back out for a fall reintroduction, if you will. Uh, so starting this weekend, if you're listening the week, this episode airs, um, I'll be in Springfield, Ohio, September 20th and Portland, Indiana on September, September 22nd. Uh, so if you are in Ohio or Indiana, please come see me. Uh, I love meeting podcast listeners and, uh, it's just, it's a fun show. It's going to be, both those shows are going to be great. Um, uh, also coming up in October, uh, if you want to look a little bit further down the line, I'm playing a lot of shows this fall. Uh, trying to cover all the bases in all the different parts of the country. So October, I'm hitting up Arkansas again, Little Rock, and uh, playing in St. Louis, Indianapolis, Louisville, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, <laughs> heading down to Oklahoma and Missouri, Omaha. And in November in the Carolinas, I'm going out on a little mini tour with Stacey Lance, former guest of the show. Um, all over the place. I'm even going out to Arizona in November. Arizona? Where is that, you ask? It's out there somewhere, and I'm playing shows there. So if you want to know any, any information about any of these shows, you can go to nickflora.com, and they're all there or as well on Facebook. So I just want to let you guys know that I am getting out there, and I would love for you to come see me. So um, kind of always on the road these days. So I, I, at some point, I would love to come play in your town. So and I'm trying to make that happen. So though you, your voice has been heard, you, whether you're talking to me directly or just thinking these thoughts in your subconscious, I am listening. And, um, that sounds really creepy. So, uh, you guys know this, if you listen to any, any episode of this podcast, but if you would like to contact the show, you can do so. We have email capabilities, folks, and we're not afraid to use them. Who writes the stuff podcast at gmail.com is the email address. And you know what? You're like, why wouldn't you just have a cooler, more professional email address? Like podcast at Nick Flores podcast doc. I don't know. Uh, it's because I want to keep it real and you guys have a Gmail account. I have one too. I'm not trying to hide anything here. Um, so if you would like to email us and by us, I mean me, uh, and ask anything, uh, about an ep- anything discussed on any episode, um, or you have an idea for a guest or anything strikes you in any kind of manner while listening to the show, I want to hear about it. And, um, I, I, I've really enjoyed the, the contact I've had with, podcast listeners back and forth uh, whether it be live or through email or through twitter or whatever it is so um at who writes pod is the twitter if you want to tweet or facebook whatever it still feels weird <laughs> i'm like saying all these things it still feels, feels weird to talk about the internet outside of the internet you know what i mean you like we read these words all the time uh like tweet and twitter and facebook but it's weird to say it out loud i feel like um also leave itunes reviews i don't know if you guys are aware of this or not but if you leave itunes reviews i will say your name on the show and thank you personally like matt Harmon, who left the last one who i I was very uh encouraged by thank you matt for listening uh i'm just glad anybody's listening to this thing (laughs) because i'm having a blast doing it 
and I hope other people are enjoying listening to it. So anytime you guys leave feedback in any capacity, I'm thankful. Um, also, if you would like to make a real, very real contribution to the show, it's a free show. It will always be one. But if you would like to donate uh, and throw a few shekels our way via PayPal, you can do so on the podcast blog, which is linked on all our social media websites. And that is the end of this part where I talk about business stuff. All right. So I want to get into it because this is a really fun episode. Mr. Gabe Dixon uh, is on the show and uh, a really delightful guy. He's a guy I didn't know very well, but we have a lot of mutual friends and um, I, I wanted to sit down and talk to him. So without a further ado, here's my conversation with Gabe Dixon. I tried to keep it to a, a minimal setup so it's conducive to conversation. So if you could just try to ignore the fact that there's a mi- <laughs> giant microphone in front of my face. Yeah, no, this is just completely yeah. normal. This is just... It is very, it is very relaxed in here. Like, good, got a good setup going. I try to surround you with everything that I've ever uh, seen in my life, movie wise, or <laughs> basically. I'm this is what I imagined that my my room would be like when I was a kid. I was like, when I'm an adult. Wow, and you it's made it come be- true. You know what? Some dreams you can make come true for yourself. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you played the the bell court the other night. You played with uh, Matt I, Jones, right? I did. How was Who, that? Oh, it was great. I always love uh, playing with him. I love his music. Yeah, he's awesome. He, I guess he 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 had a keyboard player and they couldn't make it. Uh, oh, you see, so you were sort of last minute. Yeah, I really? said, can you fill in? And so I I learned uh, eighteen songs in a few days. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, you know, but well, that's that's. That's sometimes when you get the call. Like that's sort of the. Mm-hmm. That's not too uncommon. I feel like his stuff is so. Um, his songs are so great, and it, it, his music is all very moody. So fortunately, I didn't have to learn a whole bunch of like really complicated. Right, stuff. that's it was true. Mostly just pads and little keyboard lines that support the song. Yeah, but he's got, he's got some uh, precarious changes sometimes, like in the song structure or whatever. But yes, uh, that's true. I guess on this newer stuff area, but that's awesome. Have you played the Bell Court before? I have, yeah. I played there with my band. I think we opened for Stephen Kellogg and the Sixers a little oh, while Oh, sweet, back. okay. And um, I, I played there just a couple times, I guess. I wish there were more venues like that that like played like live music. I love that Me that too. room. I mean, I love the Bell Court anyway, but the Bell Court is like as a music venue is yeah. is so cool. Just like I, just everybody sitting in seats. Like I feel like I should dress up when I go to shows. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love the fact that you can also you know. Like, you can get a beer or whatever uh-huh, and, and uh-huh. a little snack and bring it in, but it's always focused on the music, you know, yeah. and what's going on on yeah, stage. Yeah, totally. So, it's yeah. almost like the audience will police itself, like if somebody starts <laughs> getting rowdy or something. Yeah, just go outside, yeah, just take it, like, you know. Yeah, that's and, <laughs> that's the best. There's been too many shows where, like, bars that I've played or whatever where, like, people just over, like, the, the crowd will just forget you're there. Those are tough, man. Because I mean, and I, I, I like to pay attention to music, of course, you mm-hmm. know. But it's like if I'm sitting at a bar and my friend is right there, it could be the the greatest musician on the planet, mm-hmm. and there's just a this when you especially when you're, if you're drinking. I know when alcohol's involved, it's so Whew, man. So it is the 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 whole the setup of the venue is huge. Yeah. Well, you said you grew up here, as in Nashville. I feel like that is very rare. Uh, since Nashville is typically kind of a transplant town for a lot of people. I think the only person yeah. that, that I, only other musician that I've talked to on this podcast anyway that's from here is, is David Mead, 
<laughs> and I was, yeah. and which is surprising because he seems like he's just from another planet. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he kind of is. I love, I love David, but he's just sort of like yeah. the way he thinks, even the way he thinks and speaks. And so I, I feel like he's he was like, no, I grew up in France, and you know, but no, he's like, I know, I grew up like in Barry Hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a few of us. Daniel Tash and grew up here. Mm-hmm. And some of my musician friends, Nick Buda and Jonathan Trebbing, and you know, but not many. What was it like growing up in in Nashville? I, I saw this side of Nashville's music that um, a lot of people from, that are that come from out of town or that just hear, hear about Nashville and mm-hmm. Nashville just from its image and that they don't realize what a rich kind of you know classical and jazz and sort of all kinds of oh, cool yeah. music things going on. I mean, Mark O'Connor and Edgar Meyer were teaching there, and you know and. I don't know. But then you also have this whole... Like, I was in a teen country boy band when I was 12. Okay, let's talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were... uh, They held auditions for this teen band, and I got in, and I was 12, and we... You know, I didn't even know it was going to be a country band. Oh, really? um, Did you play at that point? Were you already playing? Yeah, I was playing. I knew a couple... I knew uh, Great Balls of Fire. That was Mm. a a big one for me. And um, Hey Jude... Yeah, and um, I think I could play "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" uh-huh. and maybe one other one. Uh, so. Did you guys perform any of those songs? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> These were kind of. It was one of those things where we took songs that publishers pitched to mm-hmm. us. You know, very like label constructed. It was like a Curb Records project, yeah. and like Buddy Killen was the producer, wow. and uh, um, right, Ronnie McDowell and his um, nephew and son were his. They were in the band and. So it was kind of this, I mean, I, I, I wasn't wild about the music, but I mean, for me, it was really exciting because yeah. I got to be in a recording studio and watch all these great session players and, and go and play live. And That's a great early education of sort of like setting in motion what was to come, you know? Yeah. Even if it was sort of like under kind of, you know, odd or maybe cheesy <laughs> circumstances. Like, yeah. well, you know, what was it, the name of the band? Um, we were called Six Shooter. Yeah, you yeah. were. <laughs> there were six of us. After oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I didn't even know prob- there prob- were country boy bands. There were a couple, and we were we were the we were the best known one, though we were not super well known. But we mm-hmm. did have, I and mean, we had like four videos that were on CMT. You know, oh, this, the whole deal. this is amazing. I know. I don't talk about this very much. <laughs> That's <laughs> why not? That's amazing. <laughs> but I probably totally screwed in my head because how did, how, we had certain markets, like markets. We had certain places that we did really well, like mm-hmm. Athens, Georgia. At one point, our, we had two videos out, and they were both they were numbers one and two mm-hmm. uh, in that particular wow. market in Athens. So we would go to Athens and sell out double sellout places, you know, and we should, we'd have to have security and stuff. Cause it'd be like, it was whole like teen wow. idol situation. Yeah. Girls were like trying to rip our clothes off and stuff on our way to the stage. Six shooter. Yeah. It was, it was that. <laughs> wow. Um, so I don't know. I feel like maybe that like just wrecked me. It's what, like, what, like what now year? I'm always like constantly like trying to, <laughs> trying to get that kind of attention. Trying to get that high, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really, but I, I feel like there's it. something in me that like was deeply like uh, it, you know uh, imprinted on absolutely my brain, you know yeah. So I can only imagine what somebody like Michael Jackson or oh know, my somebody gosh. who really had success. Ugh. Yeah, absolutely. I talked to um, 
I don't know if you know who Jenna Von Hoy is. Uh, she used to be on the show Blossom that was on NBC. Yeah. She lives over here, actually. She lives in East Nashville. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, when I found out, she's sort of doing a little bit of music now and she does mainly voiceover stuff, but she, so she can kind of do it from home at her. I think her husband lives here, but she, she's a little, <laughs> over here and I found that out and she did the podcast and, uh, and she, huh. all, we talked a ton about that kind of stuff because she was just like, you know, she was like three when she did her first, like she got a national McDonald's campaign, like, and she'd, oh. she had commercials until she was 12 and then she started doing like acting and she was, she turned out fine, but she was talking about, you know, she knew all of these kid actor like her friends today are like the cast of full house <laughs> and uh it's wow. like like to this day like you know uh huh. but and she said that a lot of them didn't fare well you know a lot of them you know by the time they get to be 19 or 20 they're so uh they just have this sort of angry elitist mindset of, or like entitled mindset mm. because they were at yeah. this very formidable age and their brain is forming you know like they were they were kind of given the maybe a small percentage of how the world works. Like yeah. this is not conducive to the rest of, of you will of, not be worshiped for the rest no, of your life. <laughs> absolutely not. But, but when you're, especially when you're a kid, you have no concept yeah. of like, you think the thing that you're in now is forever, you know, like that, right. this is the way it is forever. This is, you know, and yeah. I remember being in school and being like, this is the, what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Like I can't like time is so slow and like, I am, I am infinite or I am finite. What is it? Which one is it? You're finite. Yeah, finite. Like nothing you're can, infinite, uh, yeah, like infallible. Nothing can shake me. Oh. Especially like if you're. Imagine I thought that, and I was just a kid in Southwest Arkansas. Like imagine being <laughs> a kid, like, and you're on all these Teen Beat magazines and yeah. stuff, and or whatever. And it was just, it was insane. I could not stop. I just kept asking her questions about that kind of stuff, and because she turned out completely fine, so I didn't feel completely bad. Yeah, she like, seems pretty normal. Yeah, Big, she is. Uh, isn't she on Big Bang Theory too? Oh, that's Blossom. <laughs> oh, so this is... She's her best friend in the show. Oh, so you were talking to the person who played Six. Six, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. she lives here. Yeah. Hey. That's one of those rare that's things. Awesome. Uh, one of my friends... She lives next door to a friend of mine, and, and one day she was like, do you know who lives next door to me? And I looked it, I looked it up, and there she was. And she was... I forget a lot of times that Nashville is, is a... I mean, it is an industry town as much mm-hmm. as L.A. or New York. Maybe not in uh, the certain ways that those towns are. But, uh, I mean, you you will run into people that, mm-hmm. that you knew before, you know. I was just talking to somebody this weekend about that, how I think Nashville is a little bit special in that people tend to leave celebrities alone. I agree. I remember being like 13 and we went to Pancake Pantry and Garth Brooks and Trisha Year would, were just there eating. And at that time, it was like the probably early 90s. and They couldn't be hotter at that they point. They were huge. Huge, and nobody, you know, said anything. People were probably everybody was aware they were there. Yeah, exactly. nobody. Because I've been it's in, like Keith and Nicole now. Exactly. <laughs> like, like I've been in Calypso Cafe when they're there, and people oh. know they're there, but nobody bothers them. It's amazing. I'm like, no wonder they would want to live here. Like, I even heard her say that in an interview, you know, in a magazine or something, saying like, hmm. it's kind of the best because we can just go about our lives and, you yeah. know, like I mean, they have to know that people know. That they're that that's yeah. a feel it like okay, like, but it just doesn't have that whole paparazzi thing like no. in L.A. And I feel like, you know, I wonder if that even started to happen here. If people would just rise up and be like, uh, uh-uh. mm-hmm. it probably pass laws. It would. I think that I it would, I think because Nashville is considerably smaller than like in like in L.A. or New York, like laws would get passed really fast. Or like like I was saying earlier, like the the citizens would just start policing it. 
and being like, leave him alone, yeah. <laughs> leave him alone, kind of thing. Yeah, because it, it's, I mean, it's funny, but it's sort of like Nashville is becoming right now sort of like the hot city to to live in or whatever. And I wonder mm-hmm. uh, when that goes away, when the buzz goes away, if because there's sort of like you hear rumors of like celebrities getting houses here and stuff like yeah. Johnny Depp Johnny or Depp something, or something. Yeah. 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 Is there, what, was there a moment when you were that young and you were getting all this like spotlight on you and stuff? And uh, even if it was in, you know, smaller markets, but it's still happening where you, where you got, it afforded you to like meet people that you looked up to, like any, um, any country artists or anybody, I mean, anybody that you, you sort know, of like. At that point, I didn't, I didn't know that many people in that world. Like in the okay. country world, I did meet George Jones. We were on a bill with him. Oh my a, gosh. At a place called the Stockyard uh, in downtown. I don't know if it's still there, but. Um, That's amazing. I met a couple random. Did you have any countries. idea who George Jones was at that point? A little bit. My mm-hmm. grandfather, man, he was super psyched to meet him because mm-hmm. he they're about the same age, you know, and and so he he and George were just like cutting up and talking yeah. and stuff, and, uh, and he was just super excited. But I think I met Lori Morgan, mm-hmm. a couple folks, and, and you know, I met Allison Krauss when we were. She, we were teenagers kind of at the same time, and okay. so she traveled, uh, we had a mutual friend, um, Brian's on the bass player in that band. His sister, uh, Andrea, is a great fiddle player, and she and Allison used to run together all the time, oh, okay. so they would, they came up on one of our trips up to somewhere in the Midwest and hung with her and that sort of thing, but I don't know, that, that kind of ended when I was 16 or 17, and I mean when I really started meeting famous people was yeah. after I graduated college and my band got signed and mm-hmm. did all this cool stuff. First she said she liked my style of music She said she really liked my car Said have you been to Hollywood And do you know some movie stars All the time she's talking to around to see if there is anybody more important here than me I'm looking for a deeper well to sink in a haven for my heart to dwell I'm thinking love should be a river that floods into the sea shallow so So I think when I got to college, you know, nobody had, nobody else had really done any of that stuff, and so, uh, you know, I was in music school, but I was, but I had a little bit of that mindset that was beyond just, I want to transcribe uh, every uh, every Charlie Parker solo I can, mm-hmm. or, or you know, whatever. And I was thinking along the lines of how can I, you know, make a living at this? How can I kind of, um, you know. Uh, I, I was writing songs and, and forming a band in college uh, with the idea that that would be what I did. Right. Um, so. What did your parents do? Or what do they do? My dad is a, he's a, a physician. Okay. He works here in Nashville. Um, okay. And uh, my mom is a minister. 
Really? Mm-hmm. It's always interesting to me what, where, like, creative people come from. And my parents are, they're just big music fans, mm-hmm. you know, and they had, they listened to records a lot, you know, when I was a kid. Um, they, Were they very supportive early on from oh, yeah. your pursuits? Yeah, absolutely. And there was a point there when I was about 10 where I kind of wanted to quit piano lessons because I wasn't that in, you know, I, I, the whole classical thing was not that. I was losing my focus on it. Uh-huh. Then, But my mom just didn't let me. Like, she didn't let me get through that and, and quit. And then I joined Six Shooter and had this other outlet for what I was doing musically. Right. So it all kind of, like, made sense. Like, oh, I get how this relates. And, and uh, my dad, man, I played in blues bands and stuff in high school. And I bought a, a Hammond B3 and a Leslie. And he would go out with me to the bars mm-hmm. that I was too young to be in. He'd have to have a guardian. He and I, yeah, he and I would like load the B3 and Leslie into the club. and That's you know, great. Just, he was, they were so supportive of me. I mean, I, I, I would not be, I would not, I probably wouldn't even have a career in music if it weren't for them. Oh, wow. That's, and, that's amazing. Because a lot of times, especially when you hear somebody like, dad's a doctor or whatever, like it's sort of like, mm-hmm. It's it can be the opposite. Like so much, <laughs> yeah. like I don't understand it. I stay away from it. You know, I you wish know, he that probably, he would choose. I wish he'd get over this silly hobby or whatever. That's amazing. He probably figured out early on I was not going to be a doctor. <laughs> it's like, hmm, he's not as smart as me. Interesting. Well, where, <laughs> or in different ways. Where does the creative ish come from? Then do you think, like in your family? Uh, well, my mom's pretty creative. I mean, she's she she writes and she's always kind of written poetry and and thought abstractly and creatively. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I just, I think they just kind of really sh- saw how interested I was in piano and in, in, you know, singing and all that stuff. And they just kind of let it, they, they just did their best to guide me and, and, and that's amazing. And you know, I mean, definitely like coming up here, like, I mean, you're, there's no shortage of, of examples that you could like follow. Like, you know, yeah, I would go down, I was really into Stevie Ray Vaughan when I was mm-hmm. a teenager and Who wasn't? I feel like that's oh like we gosh. all were. I just watched that Austin City Limits uh, performance, the eighty, the eighty nine performance. Oh yeah, so I've seen that. Yeah, much. And that one has this guy Reese Winans on it playing keyboards. So it just so happened that Reese was in this band called the Blue Bloods that started playing every Monday night at the Bluebird Cafe. Okay, which was right down the street from where my parents and I and my brother and sister lived when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So we would just, I would just go down there on Mondays and sit there and watch Reese play piano, and and like leave there thinking, oh, 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 I suck. Okay, I understand. <laughs> All right, so I need to go home and practice. Yeah, something to aspire to at least. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty high bar here. Yeah. Where did you start getting up on stage, like for the first time, just sort of on your own, or did you have a band? Well, did you I, perform or I think actually the first time I, I had a job at Sir Speedy um, after my sophomore year, mm-hmm. sophomore year in college. In the summer, I came back here, did that for a couple months, and but I was starting to write songs and stuff. And after a couple months of driving the delivery truck, I just decided I I needed to be focusing on music. So I. I quit the job, and I my grandfather got me a job at Tootsie's mm-hmm. uh, downtown playing in the back room. Oh, okay. Just covers, like, Monday through Thursday yeah. from 1 until 5. Because um, I don't know if people know this, but downtown Nashville has all these, all these you know, honky-tonks and, and clubs and stuff. But then there is music playing as long as they're open for a lot of them. Oh, yeah. They're just, like, you you know, like, there are people that will come in from, like, 10 to 2, you know, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Absolutely. And then the 2 p.m. to whatever. To 6. 6 and then and 6 then, to 10 and then 10 to 2 again. Yeah. And I think from 2 a.m. until 
uh, 10 a.m. is the only time there isn't there's a sort band of, uh-huh. in a lot of these places. Yeah, I mean, any time of day you drive down there, for the most part, if, if the general public is awake, uh, like there is something <laughs> going on, which I didn't know about that until I moved here, and you drive down there, and you're like, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, and, and there's like this jam and blues band <laughs> yeah. or something uh-huh. you can hear from the, like, from your, in your car, you know, just from the wow. street. And so that was, I just had written maybe five or six songs at that point, and I would sprinkle them in with, you know, in between, you know, Elton John mm-hmm. and, like, Bruce Springsteen and, um, oh my gosh, I don't know, just tons of cover. A few, I did some Hank Williams and some country stuff and just whatever I was liking at the time. Yeah. So Eric Clapton and Vince Gill and... All that, like, timeless, like, basically everything you're listening is timeless, like, music. Yeah, it was kind of fun because I didn't have the pressure. I wasn't playing the front room where you're, like, you got to play either old-time country mm-hmm. or, like, modern country. I could just kind of do whatever I wanted in the background. Yeah. And so I just picked out my favorite songs from the last 50 years. Yeah. You know, and absolutely. Like, just kind of learned them and played them for tips. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, that was just great. That was That's just good to experience. Me, that was like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. That was like the beginning of that for me. Um, absolutely. And so the next semester when I went back to college, um, I said I wanted to set up a show for myself just to kind of do something similar. Um, and my roommates at the time, then they said they would play with me. So that was sort of like the beginning of the Gabe Dixon band. tour for a while Mm -hmm. and that was sort of the beginning of uh when i felt like i was doing what i wanted to do since i was 11 yeah it's kind of absolutely piano and sing my own music with a band who'd you guys go on on tour with i feel like i looked it up but i can't we went with a we went out with a bunch of people we opened for uh nora jones when her first album was coming Uh out and oh wow that's even great time to go out with nora jones yeah (laughs) we did four shows with her and they were all sold out you know yeah um, but we, uh, we, we did some side stage stuff with like Dave Matthews band and oh wow we did even Aerosmith. Really? Yeah. And who else? Gosh, I mean, t- Little Feet, we opened for them mm-hmm. a bunch and we opened for, uh, Los, Los Lobos. Los Lobos? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Not Los Lonely Not Lo- Boys. That's what I was thinking. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait. It okay. was pre-Los Lonely Boys, I think. Okay. Um, <laughs> And gosh, oh, just a bunch of people. They, we had a booking agent. And they just threw us on lots yeah, of stuff. We played Bonnaroo no and um, a bunch of like festivals, kind of jam band festivals because mm-hmm. we were very improvisational. Mm-hmm. You know, every all, most of the songs had a sax solo or a piano solo or both. 
Yeah. And we, that's what we were focusing on, you know, at that time. Even when we signed to Warner's, David said, well, we could go two routes. We could either go like top 40 route where, you know, I kind of do a lot of the producing and doing the track and that whole thing. And Gabe just sings and you kind of throw some stuff on it. Like, like kind of like he did with Sugar Ray, which was Mm -hmm. another band he had produced. Okay. Or you guys can do the route where you go out and like play everywhere and like try and build an audience and that sort of thing. And we were like, top 40, forget that. <laughs> Who wants to do that? Who wants to have success? For real. So, um, <laughs> so we did the go out and tour thing, which was, which was good for me. I mean, another, you know, on the, t- on the 10,000 hours journey of performing. But, but also if you just go out on the road, especially if you just kind of build yourselves to be like, for lack of a better word, like a jam band kind of thing. Like those, there, there are bands out there who, you know, who are jam bands who never had a, any kind of top 40 hit at all, but they have people show up everywhere they go, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, that yeah. is a very specific like niche market. It's like they it's really build impressive. their own little worlds, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, instead of going to, instead of doing it on somebody else's terms, it's yeah. sort of like, and I, I, that's one thing I wish that I had done a little bit more. Like we were still at that time, like we had management that were very, they were, they were great, you know, uh, for some people, but they were very much like, it's still in in an old model and mm-hmm. and not sort of an on the ground like kind of grassroots right oriented company so you know um i uh you know what we should have done if we were going to do what we you know at that time is like really go city by city and try and like there was a band at the time who was kind of our contemporaries who OAR yeah, and they were uh, they were doing a they were kind of in the same boat, but they they were very strategic about everything that they did. Like they wouldn't play another town until they had sold out a venue like twice. Wow. in one town, you know, like they were like, all right, now let's go see what we that can do. It takes a in lot town. of patience. It really does, but you know, worked out for them. So. Yeah, but I think even back then, even though like we didn't build this enormous fan base. Like I did plant a lot. We planted a lot of seeds with people, and you know, there are people who still come to shows now that are like, eh, "I saw you in 2001 when you mm-hmm. were opening opening for, I don't even know somebody." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I even have that. I've I've been playing music with different bands and stuff for ten years, and I still have that where people will come and be like, "Man, I saw you were playing with so and so," and. You know, I remember. Remember that thing you told me at the merch table? And I'm like, I have no, no, <laughs> no. I would just straight up tell you, I do not remember that at all. Uh, but that, you, that's the. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. That's the the beauty of that. Like when I think about sometimes if you play like an imp, like a room that doesn't have that many people, or when we were talking about people talking while you're mm-hmm, playing, mm-hmm. I've just developed this thing uh, of singing and playing to the people who aren't talking or to the people who are there because I yeah. can't tell you how many times someone's come up to me uh, a couple years later and say I saw your show at whatever and it changed my life and I think back to that show and it was like not many people were there or it was just chattering the whole like, time you remember it as sort of a disaster but there's the but few they people. were listening know. you know they were paying attention so it kind of gives me it puts that in perspective for me now. It's a great perspective giver. <laughs> I, I try to remind myself anytime I'm getting frustrated, because it doesn't happen as often anymore, but like the more... Every once in a while there will be, there will be a show where I'm just like, you know, did they not build this right? Did they 
you know, it, they might as well, you feel like you might as well have been an iPod set in the corner, like, uh, <laughs> how much people, yeah. people are paying attention, but trying to, f- instead of focusing on those people, or even if it's a low attended show, like, not focusing on the people who aren't there, but the ones that are, it seems like it's such a simple idea, but, you know, especially when you're up there and the adrenaline's flowing and you, you have to have, there's a certain le- level of artist ego that you have to have just to get on that stage. You can yes. let that thing sort of, if you have to keep it on a leash a little bit, because if it gets if it gets too big, especially in that mm-hmm. scenario, you can just start getting bitter and angry, and then that yeah. affects your performance. And yeah. so, just playing as if, I always think like as if this is a like a packed room. I want to, at the very Ooh, least, that's good. If you can make these people who are here leave and be like, I just saw this dude, and there was nobody there, but he played as if it was like jam-packed like it was incredible we have to go see him next time you know yeah even if that that conversation never happens play it out as if it does in your head or whatever you know totally. these little tools or little like life yeah. hacks like that life like, hacks. whatever you have to tell yourself hacks. To, yeah. to get that in that mode and not focus on sort of you know it's it's all glass half full type stuff but yeah a lot of it's like like you were saying like, like malcolm gladwell-ish too like just thinking towards mm-hmm. the positive or whatever mm-hmm. yeah and, man it's it's almost a like psychology. Involved. I know there's so much psychology involved, and almost like tricking yourself to be like, no, this is going to be good because later around the corner there's something. Like I don't uh-huh. know what's around the corner, but I got to keep keep going, you know, to to see. Yeah, I mean, and every musician, I mean, musician, singer, songwriter, whatever. I mean, we're all kind of we all sort of need the kind of motivation that that you know, like we're all like little small business owners, totally, you know. So it's sort of we need to have those kind of tricks and the thinking positively about about things, you know, in order to just kind of get, you know, keep keep going. Yeah. You know, because it's easy to sort of feel like, what am I doing? You know, what what is it? You know, but uh, but that's that's a trap that doesn't have to get fallen into. I know. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. I mean, there's so there's a, there's a level of like delusion. Like I feel like there's a healthy level of delusion yeah. <laughs> and a healthy level of ego just in general that you sort of have to buy into, you know, even the most self-deprecating artists, like friends that I'm sure we both have that like, they still keep getting on stage. Like as much as they're sure, like, I don't yeah. think anybody cares when we're doing this, but like, and I'm that way sometimes, mm-hmm. but I keep, you know, I've had the lowest of low moments, but I'm still booking shows because I know yeah. future me is gonna really is gonna be like really want to play some shows, even though yeah. current me is sort of in like a self loathing like like what's the point of this? You know, this is such a weird lifestyle yeah. I've chosen for myself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's good. It's fulfilling, you know. Yeah, it's fulfilling to perform and it's fulfilling to feel like you're. You know, because uh, what, what we do is important. It, it really is important yeah. in the world. And like I, sometimes I, uh, I start to think about, oh, you know, I, maybe I should be doing something that's more, you know, contributing to society. Maybe I should right. be a doctor like my dad. Maybe I should be, uh, you know, uh, you know just, I don't know, it's doing something that's concretely affecting right. um, the world. Like, I don't know, something more responsible or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, you know, I mean, the world needs music. The world really does. And if you have a talent for it and you've seen that you can affect people positively with it, I mean, that's what you need to be doing. The new day dawns and I am practicing my purpose once again. It is fresh and it is fruitful if I win, but if I lose, ooh, I don't know. I'll be tired, but I will turn and I will go. Only guessing till I get there, then I'll know. Oh.
To our mutual friend and friend of the show, Allie Ferris, and yes. uh, about you, and she was telling me some things to ask you about. Ah, so uh, I, I need to ask you a few questions. Uh, okay. Oh, is this an <laughs> interview? Really? <laughs> oh yeah, sort of. Well, sort of. No, I just I'm just curious no, about I, a few things. She uh, she told me to ask you about your intense magnet collection. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I started doing when I was, uh, I guess it was probably 2003 or so. Well, to connect it to my music career, I mean, it, it, it kind of took, I, my magnet collecting really took on a new, uh, a new um, dimension when I went out on tour with Supertramp in 2010, because mm-hmm. I went out and toured with them oh, awesome. as their singer, like one of the lead singers. Are you serious? Band. Yeah. Because the, there were two lead singers in the band, Roger Hodgson mm-hmm. and uh, Rick Davies. Those were the two lead singers back in the day. Roger hasn't been in the band since the 80s. Um, so this time out, when they went on tour, they needed somebody to cover some of his parts. So Jesse Siebenberg. That's amazing. Uh, the, the original drummer, Bob Siebenberg's son, Jesse sang. They asked Jesse to sing all Roger's songs. Mm-hmm. And there were like three days that were too high for him to sing. So he had seen me opening for Loggins and Messina or something like that. So he called me up and said, I don't know if you'd be interested in singing some Roger Hodgson Supertramp songs. But and Were so, you a Supertramp fan before then? Just a little bit. I, yeah. I'd, I'd heard their radio hits and stuff, right. but I don't think I'd um, gotten into the records. But I became one after that. Like, yeah. They're a great band. Yeah. And, uh, Are you, aren't you officially in the band now? Technically, technically, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. they don't. They haven't done any. They haven't. Done, we haven't done a show since last November. Mm-hmm. And because uh, Rick Davies, you know, I mean, he, we go out on tour when he decides it's Can, it's, yeah. it's the time to do it and right. he wants to. Um, but you know, the whole tour in 2010 was in Europe, so I collected all these magnets. Oh, yeah. from I mean, yeah. we went to almost every country in Europe, and. Uh, and then the the following summer we did another tour in France and Canada, so mm-hmm. really racked up some some special Man, magnets. That's amazing. <laughs> You're like, oh, don't worry, honey, I've got the magnets covered. Oh yeah, I was like, some great she magnet actually, opportunities. Yeah, <laughs> she actually encouraged me to stop doing that recently. <laughs> she was like, I, th- I think you, I think you have enough magnets. <laughs> Put the magnets down. Yeah, <laughs> step away from the magnets. <laughs> well, I have that when I whenever I'm trying to like get like all the books from like an author I like or something like, like I go, you go, you know, you go on the road and you find these used bookstores or whatever. And, and when you complete the set or whatever, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, there's sort of like a feeling of like an empty feeling a little bit like, well, now I need to, I need to find something else to do. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if you're, if you are married to somebody who does not understand, <laughs> there could be a little bit of like, uh, okay, um, <laughs> our house is not that big. You need to stop collecting these things. Mm. Uh, I heard a story about you. Before and then uh, I looked it up. I was going to ask you anyway because I, I like asking people about stories you hear because just to hear the real thing. Uh-huh. But uh, that you uh, 
were asked to play or tour with Paul McCartney and you turned it down? I, I, that's str- strange to me that that's what every that's what that's so a, many people yeah. know about that situation. That, well, that's the only thing. Yeah, that's what I, like whenever your name is mentioned. I think it, I remember where it was. I was in the studio or something, and somebody was, and your name came up, and like it was. A, but it was always like an admiral. Oh, okay. Thing. So it's not always, like have you what heard an about idiot. That jerk no, no, no. It was like it was always that. like like it was such like a confidence like ballsy move like and and well, what happened <laughs> is. Um, First of all, Paul, the Beatles were the first band that I became obsessed with, and Paul McCartney is like one of the reasons I started playing and singing in mm-hmm. the first place. So, what happened is uh, David Kahn, who signed us to Warner Brothers and produced my band's album, he we did our album in January of two thousand one, and then the very next month he was producing Paul McCartney's album, oh, Dragon wow. Rain. Yeah, and so he put most of the band together. He decided Abel Borel was going to play drums, Abel Abel Borel Jr. And uh, Rusty uh, Anderson was going to play guitar, and I guess I was go- I went in to do a Hammond B3 overdub on my album, and I came back in, and he was like, "Man, I, I think you're really great. Do you want to be the keyboard player and background singer on the Paul record next month?" And I was like, uh, "Hell yes, I do." That's amazing. <laughs> and, and so, uh, sure enough, I mean, three weeks in February, I was in a studio with Paul McCartney. And the band, and then another three weeks in June of that year, and we. Uh, what is that experience recorded, like? Uh, I mean, how do you man, and how do you I, separate yourself from like, you know, holy crap, this is Paul McCartney. It and, was like, not easy. I have at to first. be. A, I have to be a professional. Yeah, well, I, I, on, to be honest, the first, the when I first met him on the first day, you know, I said, you know, hey, David introduced us. Hey, hey I'm. I'm Gabe, and, and he's like, oh, Gabriel, you know, I always love that name, you know. And uh, and so he went in, he was wearing, like, PJ pants and a t-shirt, like, <laughs> with his, guitar, his, like, backpacker guitar on his back, yeah. and, like, super, like, relaxed, and and we said hello and talked for a second, and then he went to the other room, and for, like, ten minutes, I was just, just, I don't know, sh- almost just shell-shocked, like, like, Starstruck, I guess. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can go through with this situation mm-hmm. because it felt like a lot of pressure and he's yeah. my idol and what if I don't do well and, you know, what if he, you know, he doesn't like yeah. it and, you know, all that. Um, fortunately, I mean, he, the thing about Paul McCartney is he's been a celebrity his whole life and so he's probably used to people just freaking out over him, every, like everyone mm-hmm. that he meets probably. And so I think he's just gotten really good over the years at being normal and bringing people down to earth. Yeah. He's a very, he's a super charming guy and he's, but he's also really down to earth, Mm -hmm. you know? So he, he made me feel almost normal. Yeah. (laughs) By the end of it, it felt like, oh, I'm just going to, going to, going to the studio again. Yeah. On the floor, listening to the track, thinking of, thinking with him about what overdubs to put on here and we're mm-hmm. like singing harmonies together and stuff and um so it was singing the, harmonies with yeah. Paul McCartney oh god tell me about it. I was like this is I could be John Lennon like that guy, that guy I know that guy's like, looking in the eyes singing harmonies I, I learned to sing harmony by singing harmony along with like his yeah. heart, you know so did I <laughs> like Let It Be was the first you know the second song I learned how to play and so, you know, and we did a fun show. Uh, he was involved with this organization called Adopt a Minefield. So we did one show during the recording sessions for them. And 
And uh, that was pretty trippy because Paul Simon was on the bill too. And we did a song with Paul Simon. So Paul and Paul did, uh, we did uh, I've Just Seen a Face. Uh huh. And they sang harmonies on it, you know. And Paul Simon's like, I'm singing, I can't forget the time or place where I first met. And I'm like, I'm real, what world am I living in and that I'm playing piano and this is happening? He, t- he showed me how to play uh, Long and Winding Road on the piano. And, uh-huh. and uh, so we played that performance and then we did this concert for New York City, mm-hmm. which was the uh, to benefit the firefighters and the victims yeah. of 9-11. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and uh, that was great because my parents got to come and my mom got to meet Paul. My mom and dad got to meet Paul. And she was just, I mean, she, this is the, the gal who like in the sixties, I mean, Paul was her favorite Beatle and the uh-huh. Beatles were her favorite band. And she got, she got kicked out of a movie. She got kicked out of the hard days night movie theater for, for screaming too loud. <laughs> like, so this was like the biggest, this was one of the big moments of her life. That's amazing. Like what a gift to be able to give to your, know, your parents. And then, uh, they called a couple months later and were like, Paul's doing the Super Bowl. Do you want to play on the Super Bowl and do the tour with him for the Driving Rain Tour? And I was like, you know, I had just signed with Warner Brothers mm-hmm. with my band. And we were we had this record we'd already done that hadn't come out yet. We were starting to book tour dates. It's, back then, record labels would give you, you know, money. Right. <laughs> so they, had, they, were, they promised us a stipend, a monthly stipend for the next two years to go out on tour and play Gabe Dixon music. First I said, I asked Paul if I could open for him, you know, because I was like, let's, how can we make both of these things happen, you know? Yeah, how can you not ask? I would ask. He, like... Yeah, so he doesn't do openers, like, they, and and so uh, that didn't work out. So I just had to kind of think about it and pray and meditate on it for like a couple days. Um, and I was like, well, I would love to play the Super Bowl, but I I can't commit to a, to a two-year tour, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because to me, I, I, w- I would have had to give up my Warner's deal. Yeah. I mean, two years, I didn't know that that was the time. That's, that's a big chunk of time. Well, but. they didn't say that specifically, but I mean, that's he hadn't done a, to- a U.S. tour in a long time, and I knew that it was going to be, and it did end up being a long tour, you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt like what I really wanted to do with my life was to play my own music, and I had this band and these guys that were all in to do mm-hmm. that, and we had this deal, and it was kind of like, if I if I don't if I do this tour, I know at some point along the line I'm going to be thinking, wow, I gave up the chance to do what I really want to do, and yeah. I didn't want Paul to have a keyboard player who had any doubts in his mind about whether he's living up to his full potential. That's true. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. So. Uh, so I thought that was probably the best time. To and he's got to be understanding about that kind of stuff. Like he seems to have a good enough head on his shoulders to. Yeah, to get he it. got it. He totally, yeah. he totally got it. I think he was surprised. Yeah, but but he totally. Probably understood. not too many people tell Paul McCartney no. No, <laughs> my mom was devastated. She was like, I can't believe oh. you wouldn't do that. But um, but no, he he, he under- totally understood, and and uh, I don't know. And so they said, well, you can't do the Super Bowl if you don't do the tour. So that oh, was really? Kind of it. So the nine eleven show was the last one I did with him. Well, you know, you gotta you gotta pick your battles, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's just one of those things in life where I just thought, in ten years, what would I regret doing more? Right. You know, 
I mean... That's true. If I look back when I was... Because I was 23 at the time. If I look back when I'm 33, uh, I think I would definitely regret walking away from this great opportunity to play my music. Yeah. Supported by Warner Brothers Records. Absolutely. And, you know, because who knows? I, I wouldn't have known what would have, what could have happened from that, you know? Yeah. I think if, if you probably would have wondered more about the opportunity of, of going out on your own because you have already had mm-hmm. this experience with Paul McCartney you're like yeah. you know like nobody could take that away from you right so on the is, record and I did a really high profile show that's and pretty amazing experience yeah you know? did so. you did you get to meet Elton John through this I heard a story oh very about, briefly Gosh. about meeting Elton John talk about Starstruck man we were it was at that same show uh, oh okay at the concert he, he played right before us so he was coming backstage so Elton John Paul McCartney Paul Simon Paul Simon all the same show Oh man, they're all, no. If this well, Paul Simon was a different show, but this concert okay. was the concert for New York had like I mean, it was everybody. I mean, I, wow. David Bowie, Eric, Cla- I played with Eric Clapton. I mean, you know, Cheryl Crow and all these. I mean, it was yeah. like everybody that was on stage. I guess so. I yeah, James yeah. Taylor, I met him and Harrison Ford and you know John Cusack and like all these folks, Bill Clinton and That's Hillary amazing. and. And all these folks were backstage, and, and Paul was so gracious, he introduced his band to everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Um, man, it was, it was a trip. But I, we were walking up, because it was our time to perform, and Elton was coming down the hallway, and Rusty, the guitar, Paul's guitar player, had just played on Elton's album that year. And so he stops, and Elton's like, Rusty, how you doing, you know? Yeah. And they, you know, they embrace or whatever, and Rusty's like, ah, great to see you, blah, 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 blah. And then Elton turns to me and looks at me, and we, like, make eye contact for, like, two or three seconds, and I'm, like, so frozen, I don't even know what to say. I I, I didn't really have time to be like, hey, you're, like, the biggest influence mm-hmm. on me, I'm going to play piano and sing because of you, and blah, blah, blah. I, I Here are some time. more words that yes. I can't stop from coming I, out. <laughs> yes. So I was like, I, I, I just didn't say anything, and so he just turned and kept walking back to his dressing uh. room. <laughs> So, opportunity lost, but I at least got to be yeah. like one foot from The fact me. that you were, like, breathing the same air, like, <laughs> it's it's such a crazy thing. Like, I, every, time I, air, every time I meet, oh, that, that air, <laughs> it was it was rich with uh, sequins and, <laughs> and flair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a crazy thing to, because I've been in this place a few times in my life where I, like, have got to meet the guys who sort of help light the fire early on when I started getting into music. And it's such Mm -hmm. a crazy thing to do it long enough and to live long enough to be able to stand side by side, even if it's for a brief moment like that. There's something special. Like it it can bring even, even the most professional like (laughs) artists to like to their, yeah, to their, to their proverbial knees and just be like, you know, how can you not have perspective at that moment and be like, man, this is so cool that I've been, you know, that the music has led me here. And that's one of my favorite things about playing music is like the places that it will take you is, oh, yeah. is, is sometimes, you know, very you know, trivial or menial or like, yeah, we're, you know, back in Louisville again, or, or it's like, you know, on stage <laughs> with, uh, you know, Paul Simon and Paul McCartney. That like, is the crazy thing about doing and, this. And you can't put limits on it because you don't know what's around the corner, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you just keep working, you can keep, uh, you know, pursuing it and staying true to who you are as an artist or performer you don't like literally can you know play with some of the best in your field you know yeah and th- th- i think that's one of the greatest things about this like you know most people uh my, my dad is that way my dad is uh is a horn player mostly trombone and he's uh-huh. he's 
at this point now where he's, you know, in his sixties and he's got to stand by, like this summer, stand, stand on stage with some of the guys who are like 20 years older than him even. And they're still playing Like guys that he used to listen to, you know, like oh, wow. being a nerdy, like, like horn player, yeah, <laughs> you know, people whatever who, who he looked up to. And yeah. And he's just like, to. I have in, he meets him and he's like, I am instantly 19 and a sophomore in college again. And listening, you know, and I'm like, I can't believe it. You know, yeah. and I, I'm geeking out. And then, like, playing on stage with them, he's a, he's a jazz trombonist and just, like, playing on stage. And he's told me the story this past week. And they're just, like, playing with these guys. And they look at him and they're like, toss him a solo. And he's like, here's my... You know, it's like these great moments, yeah. you know. And for him, he's like, these aren't household names. But for me, these are guys that I've aspired to be like. And now I'm literally standing next to them, you know. Yeah. And all the years of work, like, more than 10,000 hours. Yeah. It's all sort of pay off. It's, it's an amazing thing and you got to do that like pretty early on but i mean i think about that decision and if i if i hadn't done that i you know i wouldn't have written some of the songs that people yeah still write to me about and say that they've you know helped them through mm-hmm. tough times and this and that so it's like um, they talk about who's the who does that ted talk with with like the somebody gilbert elizabeth gilbert who wrote eat pray love yes that's yes. great ted talk about creativity and how you know uh, the old the the you know present idea is that people are geniuses you know but it didn't used to be that way it used to be in I don't know Greek times or mm-hmm. whatever that someone had a genius it was like their uh-huh. their their genius that so, sometimes was there and so sometimes it, wasn't exactly so if they did something and it wasn't good they're like well the genius didn't show yeah, up yeah it's yeah. not on them it's not they don't make themselves feel like bad you know yeah. bad it's like well fine you didn't show up whatever Screw yeah you. yeah um, <laughs> it's not my fault hope you'll be there tomorrow. Yeah, or whatever. So we've I, actually talked about that on this podcast before, but that is so interesting, and I, I, I sort of like that idea better <laughs> than I the do fact too. that like you are a genius. Absolutely, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because no, even the you know we call people geniuses, but they there's there there aren't there aren't really any geniuses. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people a lot of the people who are who have a who put out a lot of great work, I feel like they're just they're able to be in touch with that source mm-hmm. of that. Well, it's like, like Babe Ruth is known for being this great baseball player, but he led the league every year he was in it for strikeouts. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, but you yeah. have to get up there and swing every time. You have to it's swing like for the, the busiest. Pieces. It's like the, what is it? The hardest working people are the luckiest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. There is a correlation there. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I feel like we could, <laughs> we could start our own like, uh, like positivity seminar. I know. This is like a self-help <laughs> Uh, podcast this week. It, it, it's like it, Mark Maron's podcast. I love it. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. part of the reason why I wanted to start one. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll wrap this up, but I, I always ask two questions at the end. But uh, I, I, I'm always interested in hearing uh, artists' uh, bad show stories. If you have one, a particularly uh, bad, oh funny, awkward... Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I guess the mind. most embarrassing, probably the most embarrassing one was that we went up, we used to be signed with an agency... It was in Monterey, California, and so we went there to perform for them one time. It was just a private concert mm-hmm. just for the entire agency, booking agency, and they rented out this club, and it was just the agency there, and we were on stage and playing. And I just remember I was on the like on the side of the stage. I was playing my Rhodes and my piano, and, and at the end of the song, I guess the chair was really close to the edge of the stage, and so I finished the song and I sat down. No. And the whole chair like fell off the stage and me in it. And I fell backwards onto the floor and like hit my head. Oh. It was the most 
And it was from, in front of my whole booking agency. So probably the worst place that I could possibly have done that. Yeah. Um, and God, <laughs> there was really no way to play it off either. I couldn't say anything. That was there, was there like a shriek of worry? Like immediately like... It was a gasp. Yeah. yeah. It was like a... <gasps> the entire like, the air sucked out of the yeah. room. <laughs> That's not something you want your booking agency no. to be doing. Like, is he okay? Oh my God. <laughs> No. You want to instill confidence. I want to entertain you, right? I don't want you to feel <laughs> great concern for me. Like, does this happen every night? Like, are you guys not telling us something? Yeah. So that's the first, that was what came to mind, I guess. Oh my gosh. And then once again, going back to like when you're on stage, it does take a certain amount of ego to be insulated, to be up there, mm-hmm. and then that's got to completely just like suck it up yep. like a balloon with the air out of it. Yeah. As soon as anything like that happens, you've seen the worst now. So book, that... me, book me some shows, <laughs> please. Well, Gabe, thanks so much for oh. for coming over and coming on the podcast, man. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that does it for episode forty-eight. Thank you guys for listening so much. Uh, if you'd like to check out more of Gabe Dixon's music, you can do so at gabedixon.com or you can check out all his albums on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you download uh, music on the internet. I'm sure it's there. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion today. Uh, I certainly did. And uh, once again, I'm Nick Flora. This is Who Writes This Stuff. And go do something creative. 